Why Nickers? Bernard pulls the trigger. And this is a brand. Nickers is a brand. Allen Houston. Nickers means Lord. Once a neck, always a neck. Ladies and gents, you are listening to Nickish. You got your boys Mo and Nafi here on July 10th, 2021. Uh, we're a couple of days removed since Game 2 of the NBA Finals, and lots going on in the NBA, man. This isn't going to be as much of a Knicks episode, but, you know, we, we follow the NBA. We're, we we a basketball podcast, uh, so we're going to get a little bit into it. How you doing, man? It's funny how, like, we got to existentially kind of explain ourselves each time. You know, we are a basketball podcast, <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I'm doing good, bro. Um, obviously, we got a pretty good finals going on. We got Suns up 2-0. We got a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Just like news-wise, but it was actually a little bit of a spicy controversy with uh, one of your favorite players. You know what I mean? Dame Lillard. That whole mm. Portland franchise. Just, shit just all of a sudden seems to just went left with them. But um, yeah, let me just throw it back to you. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean... Shit's been a little busy, you know, personally. You know, that's, I feel like for the last couple of episodes we've been saying that. Uh, but real life happens. And, uh, you know, the goal is to keep this consistent and uh, keep giving people what they want, which are Nickish episodes. So, you know, we, we want to start on Dame or we want to start with the other controversy that's been, you know, pretty prevalent this past week. I don't know. Was, oh, the past week. Okay. Because there was some other controversies. Cause we could talk about Dame. We could talk about the coach Portland hired. We could talk about the coach Dallas hired, which is getting some hate. Mm. Um, but no, let's start with the elephant in the room. So, I mean, the basketball fans following us. Obviously, you know, ESPN is, like, obviously showing the finals. And, like, there has been some uh, some stuff going on, man. It's, it's uh, like, turns out Rachel Nichols is not a good person. Like, mm. I, for one, am shocked. Well, not really. That's, that was a whole bunch of sarcasm. But, like, what are your thoughts on what, like, what's going on? Because you read the New York Times article, or you just been seeing, like, you know, snippets, clips, or whatever? There's a New York Times article. I read the L.A. Times article, which kind of summarized the New York one. And, gotcha. uh, obviously, the clips <laughs> that have been going on. Uh, so, so, the Times, yes. I, I've read the Times. But, I mean, you know, first off, fuck Rachel. Because, you know, what we see here, and if you want to go back to our 2020 episodes, we we talked a lot about, the, you know the unfortunate situation that had been going on with George Floyd and then all the protesting and uh, you know just the fight for racial equality and so was she she was making her monologues and she was you know saying everything she quote unquote needed to say and just putting her heart and soul into the fight for racial equality and just making sure everyone knows that she also feels that way but it's all bullshit <laughs> exactly like that's that's how it is and behind closed doors literally it was behind closed doors she was in a she was on a phone conversation with uh you know one of Le- lebron james's uh, uh advisors and you know we could say what we want to say about clutch mafia and how they really probably truly own everything that's going on in basketball um you know the conversation was recorded by another espn uh you know employee for, um, unfortunately forgot her name i don't have it here but she was recording and basically rachel was saying how you know one Maria Taylor, who is just as hardworking, just as deserving for all the positions that Rachel's getting uh, or has had, um, doesn't deserve the job that Rachel should, quote-unquote, have. And because of those comments and the the part that 
blew this up was the fact that she called it a diverse what, what was it a racial diversity decision or something like that basically her point yeah, she is said that it was a diversity move exactly yeah, I mean. yeah her whole point was oh it's 2020 and the only reason maria taylor might get this role that rachel believes she should have is because she is a minority she's a person of color and because of that that just that just goes to show and that the intentions or the words that a lot of people who are in people of color aren't genuine and it's just there and when they say what they say because that's the it thing to say um but again behind closed doors it's a whole different show and that's where the honesty comes out so you know we we had her saying that she went on the jump a couple of days later and her so for someone who is experienced in journalism who has ran the jump for years and has been part of ESPN for, you know, I, I want to say at least a decade. Her ability to explain and say and break things down is pretty good. She, she's pretty good at her job, I'd say. And that's why she's held her position for, for so long. You know, I don't always agree with what she says, especially when it comes to the Knicks. But she's good at breaking things down and explaining it in simple terms. For someone who is as good as she is for that, she did a fucking awful job breaking down her own self and what she did. Because her whole apology, if you want to call it, was, I, I don't even think it hit 10 seconds. Her saying that she's deeply sorry to whoever she hurt, specifically Maria Taylor, and then she turned to Perk and Richard Jefferson and, got, and told him to you know take the mic, pretty much. How you feel? There's a lot to unpack about this now that I kind of think about it because, like, this is what happens when you don't record. You just get out of practice, and then three topics on a list, suddenly you have, like, ten thoughts about each topic. But, well, Rachel, I, want, I do want to say, like, bro, she's married to film and music video director Max Nichols, who is the son of film and stage director Mike Nichols. Her mother-in-law is motherfucking Diane Sawyer. Mm -hmm. So, Rachel... Say what you will about her skill set. I'm not going to say she's bad at her job, but she's replaceable. You know what I mean? That's, and Maria Taylor is a lot better for a, a number of reasons. One being that Maria Taylor actually played the sport that she's covering. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, Maria, I caught her on, like, college football broadcasts. And, like, I probably watch a little bit of that more than I would. Obviously, a lot less than I would watch NBA coverage. But she, she seemed well adept over there as well. Well, Rachel, it's just like... First of all, you're not that nice enough to be able to complain about some shit like this, first of all. Like, nice, I say, like, you're not, like, an elite upper echelon, you know what I mean? Like, a broadcaster. Two, I just feel like, I don't know, bro, the whole element of that being LeBron's PR manager, being involved in the recording, saying that bullshit. And then we had LeBron, just, he had, like, it just all hit me right now while you're kind of running through that. He had that notable slip-up with China, you know what I mean? Yep. Where, like, his position on China went against everything that you would think he would represent as a human, which kind of lets you, makes you take a step back and say, yo, is this all disingenuous? Like, is LeBron, I'm not going to besmirch his character, but is he saying the things, you know, like a PowerPoint fashion to hit the right points, to get the right kind of good coverage to, you know, ex like was accentuate his image as a quote-unquote good dude, you know what I mean? Right. Because I think that's the that's literally the dichotomy he's trying to present. It's like, yo, Michael Jordan may have won more, but I'm a better person, which a lot of people fall into. And then you got his literal PR manager, the dude that's in, his entire job is LeBron's image. You got this dude on here saying some shit like, oh, with I'm just exhausted from Black Lives Matter and Me Too movement for the last year. And then 
we're not talking about Rachel at this moment, but like Rachel, she cackled. <laughs> she fucking like laughed like a hyena when that man brought that up. And that's when like I don't know about you, but the clip I heard, that's when it just like cut off. Uh-huh. And I'm just like. Oh, they, they definitely said some much more rude it's, shit. <laughs> they definitely said much more rude shit. It's one of those moments when, mm-hmm. like, white people be kind of saying something that they know they shouldn't say, like, aha, like, like, uh, be, oh, like, oh I like, can't black believe you went there. And then they, and then they <laughs> laugh because they're like, oh, shit, I went there. And then they backtracked a little bit. But it's like, honestly, I don't know what this guy looks like. I, I don't want to assume his race. Maybe we could look up his name. Adam. His name is Adam, something with an M. Um. But it's like one of those moments, those classic moments when they're like, oh, I said it. And then they, they laugh it off and then they, they like backtrack and they, you know, they move forward from there. Oh, this man is George Costanza in the flesh. He's white oh, as hell. Are you serious? Oh, so that's a younger version of him. Younger version of him looked like, looked like uh, George Costanza. Now he's like, I'm not Damn. trying to be mean. How do you? Thumb. How do you age from George Costanza? <laughs> How do you age from George Costanza? I don't know. He's just like <laughs> instead of balding, he's like all completely bald now. But yeah, he's white. That's that's there the you point. go. You know, all right, so like yeah, two white people, two affluent white there people on go. the phone, just like making light of like two major movements and like moments of reckoning. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of told me Rachel's fucking disingenuous as shit because she's like out there being like the the quote unquote woke fucking representative. You know what I mean? Going on these monologues and diatribes. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, bro. I, I've been side-eyeing her for a minute, especially in the last year. Because it's just like, you're working too hard to like literally capitalize on this. It seemed performative to me. You know what I mean? It isn't yeah. genuine. And then the fact that this is... I, I'm like, I gotta keep going back to it because it's like, how, how deep does this go? How deep does the conspiracy go, bro? <laughs> it's LeBron's PR guy. And Rachel, it's like the joke is fucking the jump is basically clutch mafia propagandist propaganda central you know what i mean you got perk working over there perkins you got richard jefferson all guys associated with lebron that love lebron and are like his fucking meat shields in the media you know what i mean they'll take a bullet for this man is he is he actually the pr because from what i see he's his, they list him as his advisor so i don't know if he's actually pr advisor but still never mind. like he advises on pr bro like okay. are you kidding me yeah pr is <laughs> part of it then yeah yeah, yeah. then he, he's exactly what you're saying and, and you know, this, this fucking CNBC article calls him a PR maven. So that means he's known for PR. PR is his bread and butter. Gotcha. It's, that's his thing. He was molded by it, shaped by PR. Yeah, so that that tells me this man is like has a say in how LeBron presents himself. And like like I said, his image has been like the uh, super woke dad, basically. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make this about LeBron, but it's just like it all kind of makes me side eye everything, and especially when you like also got to consider the fact that rj and perk they went out richard there like richard jefferson richard jefferson yeah you're right you're right we're not gonna we're not gonna bless him with that nickname but like th- those two clowns went out there and just like jumped and joined in on mm-hmm. rachel's apology mm-hmm. what the fuck you guys gotta do with it bro <laughs> you know what i mean and like somebody else brought up a good point i saw this on twitter a lot it's just like there's no black woman on set there for at least to address rachel on these points you know yeah. what i mean yeah it was all just like like her regular co-host, which happens to be like the former NBA players that like all seem to will do whatever it takes to defend her honor. You know what I mean? It's just access journalism. That's right. what they call it. Where like you do a favor for somebody, you pr- talk about somebody in a nice way. And LeBron obviously is gonna give her the scoops and X Y Z yada yada yada. I don't know, bro. I'd hear her on like Zach Lowe's podcast, Bill Simmons podcast, and she just like moves like she like a cocky person as if like 
oh, you know, like she speaks in first name terms about these players. So like, yo, this seems very, you know what I mean? Like she sees these athletes as a platform for her to like get higher. And then now this comes out where it just kind of reflects her character. Fuck Rachel. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. And the, the two things that people will say, it's not, with Perk and Jefferson being on the show with her, it's, it, it could, it's, it's other, uh, it's either one of two things. One, ESPN basically kind of forced them to be on that that set with her and kind of help her break it down uh, before she broke it down um, or broke down. And the other option and the more likely option that she asked Perk and Jefferson, her friends who've been on set with her for so long um, to, you know, be there with her to support her. And in case she can't get the words out, you know, kind of help her there. And the, the sad part of it all is that they spoke much longer than she did. She spoke on it for five seconds said i apologize for hurting you and that's it she didn't explain why she's apologetic she didn't explain what she did wrong and just she it to me it seemed like she felt more sorry for herself that she was in that position than actually sorry for what she said and how she might have ma- made maria taylor feel and this, yeah. the sad part of it all is that our jefferson did defend her perk did defend her he continued to defend her on twitter which is even more sad and what's the other guy's name um shoot I forgot, I forgot the other guy's name with the beard. Uh, I think he's a Bulls fan uh, who's on the jump often. But he made a whole tweet crediting her for helping him out oh. with getting the job. Amin El-Hassan or whatever? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that dude's yeah. been getting cooked. I don't even like Jamel Hill, but she had, like, a segment on, um, fuck, what was it, Dan Levitard's show where she just cooked this man and just, like, made him look like a like a tap-dancing fool. But, yeah, go ahead. Just yeah, like... Shit on him a little bit. Let's say she did help him with his contract, which is what he tweeted about. He had no reason to have to write that and put it out in public and show his support for his friend, Rachel, who's disparaging other reporters who are not And it's white. the classic trope, yeah. too. Like, some shit comes out, like, this is obviously a different situation, but, like, some shit will always come out about, like, some, some abusive person, and then you got people defending that person, like, oh, no, he wasn't that way to me. That's not how. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. not how it works. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, <laughs> Why would okay, you put so yourself like, out there like that? And, you know what I mean? And, like, okay, yeah. so she wasn't racist to you, but it's obvious she has layers to her racism. It's not like racism <laughs> is like a single sum game. You know what I mean? Like, okay, she'll use you, black man, to advance her career and help you. You scratch her back, she'll scratch yours. But it's obvious she has. She, she feels a type of way about black woman, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I just that's in. Like, I'm not trying to get super deep, but, like, yeah, they're, they're both women and they're both black, you know what I mean? So they're, like, getting the short end of each stick, you know what right. I mean? Right, yeah. It just reminds me of those kids back in high school who wouldn't get into the college of their dreams and not blame it on the college process or their SAT scores or their GPA. They blame it on the kids who got in through affirmative action. Yo, Whether or not they're even there, they'll bro. be like, they'll be like, nah, man, like the fucking affirmative affirmative action kid took my seat. I'm like, no, you didn't get it because you didn't deserve to get it, or for other reasons. But like the fact that they went quick to blame the affirmative action because those are low key race guys and kids or whatever. Yeah, facts. And like, yeah, you're right. Like, one thousand percent. Now that you pointed out, like Rachel does give me the uppity high school senior vibe. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? like, so, yeah. so I mean, that's basically what it was. And last point on this before we want to move on to the finals, at least from my end, is. Yo, her apology, like, you just touched on it, that shit was pure garbage. Because, like, if you're, quote-unquote, apologize for something, and me as somebody, like, if I were somebody with zero context of the situation and I heard your apology, and if I can't tell what the fuck you did wrong from your apology, then that's a bullshit apology. You know what I mean? Yeah. She just said, like, oh, I'm sorry people were hurt, and to Maria Taylor. 
what are we doing here? How did you hurt this person? What kind of remorse do you feel about it? What are you doing to, like, rectify the situation? Something. Give us anything, Rachel. She ain't give a shit, bro. And she, she just put, like, Richard Jefferson and Kendrick Perkins out there. Two role players that suddenly just, like, I guess don't can't forget their old role player habits going to the ESPN and we'll do whatever it takes to help ESPN's cash cow. I don't know, bro. It yeah. just seems sus, but... Um, I'm willing to move on. Yeah, Shout out just, to Maria just, Taylor. Like she does great work for sure. And fuck Rachel, Ta- Rachel Nichols. Fuck and all Rachel Taylor. So. Just one more quick fuck you to ESPN. Like you know, we we've always talked. Oh yeah, we've it's always, always thought of it, yeah. ESPN as like the top role where they could ever get into as a company, and you know it is. But the fact that this isn't a new situation with Rachel Nichols, and it, the fact the things that a lot of black employees of ESPN have complained about different scenarios where they felt a certain way because of ESPN. Um, in, in the article, the guy who the, the guy wrote it, his name is Dra- uh, his last name is Draper. He wrote that multiple black ESPN employees said that they told one another after hearing the conversation that it confirmed their suspicions that outwardly supported white folk talk differently behind closed doors. And we know ESPN is filled with them. So facts. 1000%. A lot of people are leaving ESPN and they're not white. <laughs> Yeah, then on the same token, they're going to plaster Black Lives Matter all over their broadcast, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then motherfucking Adam Silver, bro. There's something about Silver within the last year that just made him so much more ha- hateable. When he comes out, he's just like, oh, one mistake shouldn't... Uh, he said something, Silver said, bro, that's bullshit. It's like, one mistake shouldn't define somebody's yeah. character or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, bro, you came out too quick to support, you know what I mean? Like, this is all... And obviously, it's because Rachel Nichols is a prominent face on ESPN. ESPN is media partners with NBA. It's all about the money and the dollars at the end of the day. Yeah. And like you could, it, that could be seen as wild, fucking like skeptical and cynical. But LeBron hasn't said anything yet. You know what I mean? And he's out there at the forefront of every kind of like you know what I mean? Like rightfully so, he's out there at the forefront addressing every kind of big racial issue. You know what I mean? Or wronghood that gets committed. He ain't say shit about racial, bro. That's for a reason. They're tight. You know I mean? Adam They're said not to. Not, <laughs> and not Silver, the other one. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, a lot of, lot of heel turns in 2020 and 2021. Heel turns are just confirmations of them being like heels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like <laughs> when Triple H would turn face for a bit of WWE, you're like, no, nah, you're going to turn back. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't trust you for a second. No, what happened? <laughs> he just became a dickhead again. But uh, Pretty much. Rachel Nichols look like Triple H in the face, too. It all works out. I'm Perfect dead. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on to the NBA Finals. The Phoenix Suns are up 2-0 and against the Milwaukee Bucks, and this is our first episode. We're really talking about the NBA Finals. So first off, the point guard, I know he's one of your favorite players, Chris Paul, is in the NBA Finals. When you see that guy balling out in the Western Conference Finals on his way to the NBA Finals, and now... You know, keeping that momentum going in the NBA Finals with no sense of, you know, pressure to to play his absolute absolute best, and he's just doing it naturally with Devin Booker. How does that make you feel? I mean, shout out to the point guard, really. For like sixteen years, it's a, I mean, it's been plastered all over TV for a minute, obviously since the final started. Um, I think it's, I guess. He would probably appreciate the most. It's just ironic that like the shit that's fucked up his career, his playoff career, and that's kind of kept him from uh, like regular appearances in the conference finals, is injuries. You know what I mean? Like when, especially he was on the Clippers. Clippers, everybody can agree, it was like that was like peak Chris Paul. You know what I mean? Um, and during his tenure there, I mentioned previously in another episode, but it's just like 
every other postseason, it felt like it was either him and or Blake that was hurt. Yep. Or some confluence of events. Like, Doc Rivers doing Doc Rivers things and letting, like, a 3-1 Josh Smith, a Rockets team, uh, make a comeback from that 3-1 deficit. You know what I mean? But to see it, like, how it is now, we're in this playoff series. You know, we can be honest and say Phoenix got lucky with the injuries that their opponents had faced. But I'm not one of those people that's just going to say, like, oh, well, let's put an asterisk on this ring. I, I wasn't even saying about the Lakers title last year. And, like, that was probably the most asterisk championship you could have. They were, that was, like, the L.A. Fitness Championship, bro. Like, there's no fans in the stands. like, empty gym. Um, but I digress. But with uh, with Phoenix, it's just, like, I think it's impressive as hell. It's just kind of ironic that, like, uh, CP kind of is benefiting like that from, like, uh, just unfortunate injury situations for other teams. And also, it's just fucking fire to see him still cook like this. Mm-hmm. And I was just reflecting back on our podcast last year, bro. Like, yo, I was, I feel proud that I was all in on Chris Paul trading for him. You know what I mean? I'm even willing to give up Julius Randle. Mid-season, that looked crazy with how Randle was playing. But then now you see, yo, that Chris Paul effect is real, bro. And I got another point that I wanted to touch on, but I want to just throw it back to you. What's your, I guess what's your take, not on just Chris Paul, but... Like, you have the finals as a whole. Like, are there any storylines that have really caught your eye and just, like, what's, what do you appreciate about what we've seen so far? Well, you know, I I agree on everything that you, you said, first off. Second off, there was a really good episode on Low, Zach Lowe's podcast recently where they brought in, I think, Mike Schmitz. I could have been somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it was Mike Schmitz, who, was, who is an avid Phoenix Suns fan. And they broke out how he feels as someone who's been following the Suns for so long. And he finally has a team that's, you know, at the precipice of winning an NBA title. And his point was a lot of people are going to point to the fact that there were injuries and this and that. But when you look back on their history, the last 20 or so years, that was their problem, that they dealt with histories when they could have won the NBA title. They had different injuries with Amari at, at certain years. I think I think their best shot, he said, of them winning a championship was probably 2007. Um, they had an excellent team. Um and I think I think D'Antoni was still on that team at that point, but or what about when like those suspensions during the Spurs series? That's that, and that's another that, example exactly. That was a so, perfect year for Phoenix, right? Fuck with Phoenix like that back then. Exactly, and they had they had the bad luck that hit them. Um, but this time, you know, this time it looks like you know, knock on wood, everything that should be going right for them has been going right for them. Again, knock on wood. Um, the way this team is playing against the, the postseason's number one defensive team in the Bucks has been none short of, like, perfection and just beautiful basketball. And it all starts from the top with CP3 and Devin Booker. Um, but as far as your question on storylines, I mean, that's that's really all there is. Like, the Phoenix Suns has become a really fun team to watch this postseason. The fact, and the way that they're playing, where they're nearly perfect on all ends offensively, it's it's something that you know I'm I'm happy to watch. So a lot of people are calling this the worst NBA Finals ever. I don't know where the hell they're getting that from, um, because of the injuries. But I'm I'm glad. And shout out to Giannis, who you know a lot of games he, he would have to sit out of cause, due to injury. But even despite that, he had a pretty bad injury a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's back and he's playing like a monster. He's playing at an MVP level. But you know the the record it isn't isn't going to show that because the the rest of his team can't seem to keep up. Um, so if you want to start getting into the, the nitty-gritty of it, you know, what, what's, yeah, what's mean, your first take? I, I, I could take it off that note. It's just like, it's wild how, like, when he was out with injury, Drew, Brooke Lopez, and Chris Middleton, and Bobby Portis had a humongous game, you know what I mean, that night. And it's kind of like, it kind of tells you 
the roster construction. Like I remember, we were talking about this too when they were when when Milwaukee made those moves consecutively, and we just clowned them for the tampering issue. I mean, this was actually before the tampering thing became clear with Bogdan when they were like, "Oh shit." They just gave up all these picks for Drew. I'm kind of unsure about that, but maybe they're seeing it as like, oh, we're giving up all these picks for Drew and we're getting Bogdanovich for those two players. With what Bogdanovich is done with Atlanta, he would have been a key difference maker for Milwaukee. But that's the issue in itself. I felt like when you took him out of the equation of that quote-unquote off-season like, uh, haul for Milwaukee last summer, and it just came down to Drew, and they like upgrading from Eric Bledsoe to Drew, maybe making some depth signings like Bobby Portis, I was like, is this enough to keep Giannis? You know what I mean? Like, I don't... And then now it's like, obviously they're in the finals. Coach Bud, say what you will, brought him here. But my biggest thing is, like, it kind of speaks to the fact that... And I like Middleton. I like Drew. But speaking just at the, at the roster, like, Milwaukee don't got that number two guy to, like, kind of take that, that, that consistent attention off of Giannis. Not even attention, but just consistently contribute. Like, these... Middleton and Drew, I feel like when Giannis came back, they haven't been playing their best. And that's just, they're streaky guys. They're not like alpha, like, guys that could carry your team. It's almost like, when I look at this Milwaukee Bucks roster, it almost reminds you of, like, Dallas in 2011, where you had one, like, uh, transcendent superstar surrounded by just, a, like, a roster full of vets that fill roles and can accentuate the superstar at moments, but then a lot of, and then, but then they're not going to consistently be, like, that second secondary alpha star. But then that playoff run, like, yeah, Dirk was hot too, but then Jason Terry was on a crazy hot yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah, that's that kind of is like the comparison with Chris Middleton and Giannis. Giannis has been, his playoff numbers are ridiculous. He's like 40, he's averaging like 40 and 12 or some shit, like almost damn near. Some, he, some crazy shit like that. That's how much he dropped the last game, 42 and 12. Um, there you go. But that, I wouldn't be surprised if those were his averages. But it just feels like he's been consistently dominant. Chris Middleton will have like these off games, but then he'll have like moments against like Atlanta in the, in the last series where he would just go off and close it out in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? And he was like that in Game Seven against uh, Brooklyn too. Yeah. Um, so he he is he he has a capability of being that closer for them, and he is their closer. But in an ideal situation, you want your max superstar guy to be the closer, and if not, you have that secondary alpha. Is that Chris Middleton? Well, he hasn't been playing like that, and. It also kind of speaks to the roster construction issues where you take Giannis out the equation, it almost feels like spacing got easier for the other guys. And also, they had, they're getting the ball more in their hands. And Giannis is a brute force, uh, attack the paint kind of guy. Middleton is like a tough shot maker, middle, works in the mid-range, but he's not a fluid, explosive playmaker. And Drew's never been that guy, like an explosive pick and playmaker. It's, he's just like kind of basic pick-and-roll reads that work to perfection with Brooke when Giannis was in there. But now Giannis is back, and these guys kind of got to fit back in the secondary roles, and I don't think they're it's quite the right fit around Giannis. But to go full circle, I don't think they're out of the series. I think Milwaukee is I'm, – I'm still picking them to win the series. That's my official – I know we – Milwaukee. Like, I know it's, like, bad to make predictions huh. after the series starts, but I'm going to go with Milwaukee in six. That's my key. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a good-ass team, to be honest with you. Yeah, you seem shocked. You think you think Phoenix is gonna sweep? You think Suns in four? No, like, no, no. Like I, I, I'm not gonna say <laughs> I'm not gonna say Suns in four, but you're predicting that the Bucks are gonna win the next four games. Yeah, it's wow. been done before. Um, I I feel like at this point that's a bit of a hot take. Um, I I didn't expect that. I figured you'd you'd go for the Suns to win it, but I I just don't think it's like a Suns did what they had to do. They they won mm-hmm. their two games at home. 
I just don't think it's a humongous mismatch. And I, I admire the Suns roster. They don't have a weak link in there. All their pieces fit. You got their two alphas, and you got DeAndre Ayton just having a breakout postseason as, like, a perfect number three. What are your thoughts? But I just feel like, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Now, I was saying, what are your thoughts on, and you could you could extend on your point, um, you know, Perk has that quote calling the Bucks the dumbest team in NBA Finals history. Did you see that? They are dumb, but it's like also Perkins isn't like really good at reading the game because a lot of times he falls into the same people that like will see Brook Lopez get cooked on maybe three possessions and be like, oh, what are the Bucks doing? I swear to God, I've seen that in every playoff game the Bucks have fucking played this playoffs. Like, oh, mm-hmm. what is what are they doing? Putting doing a drop coverage? It works for them because at the end of the day, they they're in the finals for a reason. And people will say, like, oh, why are they living with Chris Paul and Devin Booker cooking their big men in the mid-range? Because if it comes down to it, if their defense is keeping their role players at bay and the other team is cooking you on these tough mid-range shots, that's how defenses are designed now. Like, force your opponents in those tough mid-range shots. And if they make them, you tip your cap to them. But be honest, if Drew and Chris Middleton stepped up, it would probably be a 1-1 series. You know what I mean? Cause that's a fair they, point. If, you know what I mean? Because, like, it's it just... And then those guys, say what you will, they're almost like role players in that they perform better at home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you got, you got the series going back to Milwaukee for two games. I could see them going back to Phoenix in a 2-2 situation. And now they change the finals where it's not 2-3-2, two, two, right? It's 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. Yeah. So then go back to Phoenix. All Milwaukee has to do is steal that one game in Phoenix. Boom. They're going 3-2 back home. Rely on your role players. You know what I mean? To, like, deliver at home. That's my thinking, because I don't think, and I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout four straight wins. I'm thinking these are two very good teams that are evenly matched, but I just feel like the baseline of Milwaukee's system is is better fit or better suited to win the series. I feel mm-hmm. like um, your butt's getting a lot of shit, but he's adjusting a little bit. He's they're switching a bit more than they ever did last playoffs. I, I feel like it yeah. just comes down to their their recipe performing at peak uh, uh, peak value. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Their their system only works if the role guys under Giannis, the the two other sidekicks, the two Robin Hoods, Drew and Middleton perform. So I'm assuming at their best they could beat Phoenix when they do come to play. Right. But I feel like you had a rebuttal at that at one point. Go no, I, I think at this at this particular game they play some of the best defense that they could play against the Suns, and the Suns still. Dropped 23 points, which happens to be the second most in NBA Finals history. But it all it all matters on adjustment because something that they kept doing in this game was they kept helping too much, and because of that, they left you know Booker, they left like Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges open for for those three pointers. And these guys are experienced wing players at this point, uh, especially Jay Crowder. And you know, there's a reason why this guy is probably one of the best role players in the postseason in the last few years because he always seems to be deep in the playoffs on whatever team he's on. Um, these guys know their roles, and, you know, the, the Bucks played excellent defense this past postseason, and they, they were switching it up. They were playing them differently, and the thing with Chris Paul this year is that he seems to be more open and prone to shooting the open threes, and in postseason's past, we've seen him kind of not take on that scorer's mentality where if he has the open shot, he'll take it right away. But we're seeing him doing that more now, and we're seeing basically a legend, you know, trying to get to that precipice of his capabilities and get the NBA time. We see Devin Booker become a fucking superstar. I mean, he's already a superstar. We're seeing him yeah, he's a dog, grow bro. into a future MVP at this point. 
Facts. Yeah, honestly, and like this year, I feel like it's clear cut. Chris Paul is like their best player, like mm-hmm. in terms of raising their their floor. But I feel like next year Booker is gonna take from this experience of this season and just like hell yeah, grow and just peak Booker is gonna be insane because there's still little things he could get. He doesn't shoot as many threes as you would think he would based on his game profile. He's almost in like an old school shooting guard in that way where he's not running pick and rolls every possession. He lets his point guard run the sets and he'll be he'll be killing in the mid range. He'll play off ball like catch and shoot. But yeah, they he's killing it. DeAndre Ayton, bro, like this kid. I mean, there's some moments in game one where Giannis is, like, rough with him. Just, mm-hmm. like, just dunking through him, getting through him. But he's out there battling, bro. And he does it. The very fact that he's not really even getting plays run for him like that, where, like, traditionally, like, oh, he's going to put his hand up in the post, get it, and then he'll do his, do his little routine and get the, get the bucket. He's playing, like, the perfect complementary role, which he needs to do. And he's playing a, a role-player role like an alpha, almost like how Chris Bosh did for the big three Miami Heat, Yeah. where Miami was, like, LeBron obviously running the show, Wade being that secondary offensive guy. Chris, ba- Chris or Bosh will get his, get his here and there, but he's there to, like, you know, spot up, uh, pick and roll, uh, defend his ass off. And that's what DeAndre is doing for Phoenix. So. Yeah. I just want to kind of take a step back, not only to just admire Booker, but admire the roster that Phoenix has built. Because they would, they would, I, I think even we shit on the fact that like their draft picks in recent years is just like your white day. Cam Johnson, he was like 24 years old when he got drafted. You know, you know what I mean? And then now he's cooking. You know, he's he was a ready-made role player. Um, Mikael Bridges, everybody thought that was a good move for Phoenix. I think. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of risky because they traded that quote-unquote Miami pick. Remember? Mm-hmm. That, was, mm-hmm. that was like mad attention about oh shit philly got that pick they bought a trade for Kawhi. Mm-hmm. thing is philly did everybody thought they were what they were gonna do that summer just on a side side mm-hmm. note they were like oh they're gonna get a star they got jimmy tobias simmons and beat now it's looking pitiful out there but just to, back to philly <laughs> philly i mean now back to the phoenix yes. they made that one move to get uh mikhail bridges and he fits so perfectly with booker bro and mm-hmm. we over here with kevin knox and like that's not Everybody thought Mikhail Bridges was supposed to be a Nick, bro. And then yeah. people came around to Miles Bridges. We would have been okay with that. No, we went with Kevin Knox and tried to convince ourselves that was the right move. Oh, it's upside. He's Kentucky. He could be like Devin Booker. Fuck out of here, bro. You see what Devin Booker's doing right now? There's no way I could ever see Knox doing that ever. Ever. Hey, not even yeah. in, like, Summer League. Never. We could send him back to the summer league, and when he's like twenty-seven years old, if he's even on a roster by then, and he still would never cook like Booker would. I don't know, bro. It's it's just tough seeing Mikael cook like that out there. It really is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fucking Mark Berman was on the Mikael Bridges to the New York Knicks train. He was the one driving it. He was so pissed, but we took Knox, and we were all coming out of that year too. Yeah. Like yo, yo. Knocks out man potential, relax. You know what I mean? He it was like one of those things that Berman kept harping on that season. He's gonna fit now, so look. well with KP. They, they, they give oh you the one two punch. <laughs> oh my god, bro. Bro, oh, but that was the shit that was easy because the guy that ran that draft, fucking Scott Perry's still here. So it's not even like a past era, bro. I know Leon wasn't here, but yo, Scott Perry's still employed. We did get Mitchell Robinson that year who probably that balances out, 10. but like imagine Mitchell Robinson and Mikhail Bridges, Doug, Doug. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, but then again, would he have developed like Fisdale under Fisdale? That's true. He probably would be like I don't know Kevin Knox. But then maybe Mikhail Bridges keeps Fisdale employed. That's the thing because Knox was like a raw nineteen-year-old, eighteen-year-old. Bridges was like a four-year senior that probably would have been more ready to play. Mm. I don't know things. What if Mikhail was so good we we miss out on RJ? Mm. 
don't know. I'm just trying to rationalize because yeah. fuck, bro. <laughs> we got Kevin Knox. We could have Donovan Mitchell and Mikael Bridges. Oh my god! All right, and anyway. Zion. Fuck it. Let's go. Full anyway, sad. anyway. <laughs> uh, just to you know, just to close out this episode, we got Game Three coming up tomorrow. Um, you said Bucks and four, uh, Bucks and six. I'll probably say Suns and six, because um, I I think at this point they they got they got they got pretty much in the bag based off the way of playing games one and two. In the bag is in the bag is not the right word, but you know you know what I mean. Like they're playing so well, yeah, and I, I I think they can keep that momentum going. Um, any last and final thoughts? Um, no, I mean at the end of the day, I'm like not rooting against either of these teams. Like I love Chris Paul, but fuck with Devin Booker. I like Giannis. I like the, I like that would be a nice way for him to kind of come back and you know what I mean like going into the season everybody was fed up with Giannis like a two time MVP you're not winning shit in the playoffs you mm-hmm. know what I mean it was and it's crazy because he's not even 27 years old yet you know what I mean so to see him flip the script and win a title this season I'd be fired to see but then you know you got the storyline of Chris Paul finally getting his ring so I you know point is I ain't mad at either team just hoping for a good series, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's good that someone's going to get their first ring for the first time, which is definitely a good story for everyone who loves basketball. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you guys follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Nickish Show. Subscribe on our YouTube channel also at Nickish Show. And uh, make sure you subscribe on all podcasting platforms. Give us a uh, five-star review if you can. We we truly appreciate it. Uh, Until next time, everyone, take care, stay safe, enjoy Game 3. Peace. Peace.